episode 176 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you talking Knicks, talking NBA. Uh, I'm going to start the podcast by leveling with you. Um, the last 48 hours uh, did not go as I had initially planned <laughs> for them to go. Uh, for those that have been keeping track, uh, I said last week on the podcast that I would be recording the podcast on Wednesday this week because I was going to be traveling on Thursday and Friday to get from Florida back to the tri-state area where I'm from and where I live during the holiday season. And uh, I have not gotten there yet. Um, The reason I ended up having to switch my plans was because a hurricane, I believe, is still currently hitting uh, South Florida where I live during the bulk of the year. And I decided to leave early. And instead of taking the normal method, I decided to drive. I try to drive from where I live in Florida to the tri-state area. And what happened was, uh, because, well, initially when I left early, uh, I was going to make it in time to get home on the Thursday and then at night record the podcast for the Friday. However, I currently uh, am sitting in a hotel in Virginia, uh, <laughs> not uh, anywhere near uh, where I live because my car broke down. So I'm currently waiting uh, on the status of the car and recording a podcast. And like I said, I've said this time and time again on this show, we don't miss a week of the podcast. <laughs> this week is no different. If we can do it, we do it. I have nothing to do right now anyway in my hotel room. Why not talk with you about the Knicks, about the NBA? Uh, some serious topics, some uh, not-so-serious topics to, t- to get to this week on the show. Um, I do want to preface this by saying this is being recorded on the Thursday night, as it normally would be before the Friday show. So that is one of the pros of uh, having my car uh, breaking down and needing to be uh, fixed. So... Um, I get to, uh, record what I normally record. So kind of actually in that regard for you, uh, it works out pretty well. And at least in this regard for me, it works out pretty well. Um, so let's get to it, right? We'll start with, uh, the week that was for the Knicks. We will touch on, uh, the latest with Kyrie Irving, uh, and we'll touch on some, some other, uh, news surrounding the Knicks as well on the podcast. This week, but the week that was for the Knicks uh, is kind of the epitome of the last two years under Tom Thibodeau, especially last year. Um, Up and down, very up and down week for the Knicks. Uh, Started in Philly, you know, the Knicks were coming off of that really rough uh, three game losing streak that we highlighted last week and needed a, a big pick me up. In Philly, by the way, it's been a rough week to be a Philly sports fan. You lose the MLS Cup final in LA in a crazy, crazy game. For those that follow MLS soccer, the five of you, uh, it was a crazy game. So the Union lose the final. That same night, they lose in Game Six of the World Series. Uh, the Astros become the World Champions. Nobody 
I'm sure around the sport too thrilled about that. Uh, but especially Phillies fans, they were leading in the series. They lose three straight and they lose the World Series the same night. They lose the MLS Cup Final, and the Sixers stink, (laughs) you know? Sixers have not been playing well, so it kind of leads me into the Knicks win over the Philadelphia 76ers, a 106-104 victory to start this off. It was on uh, November 4th, so it was actually the day after the last podcast was recorded. I'm actually trying to remember when those... uh, other games were played. I guess that was November 5th. So that, again, like I said, rough couple of days there for Philadelphia sports fans, to say the least. That weekend turned out to be very, very, very rough. Uh, I guess you still have the Eagles, right? But rough weekend for Philly sports fans. Um, in the end, you know, it was a game where the Knicks, I think, were aided by the fact that uh, Philadelphia was missing. Uh, Joel Embiid had a non-COVID illness, and James Harden didn't play. He has a right foot injury. Daniel House, uh, Daniel House Jr. also did not play. Still got to win the game. I mean, I mean, there was a game last year. I think the Knicks were playing the Nets, and the Nets didn't have, I think, almost all the stars that, that they had at their disposal at the time, and the Knicks lost the game. You know, so th- this this was a big game considering who was out and that it's, you know, only one of four times the Knicks play the Sixers this year. They don't play them again until Christmas Day, which I had forgotten about. And then they play them two times in a week in February where it could be a completely different setup. So, and we'll get to the Knicks part in uh, potential changes a little bit later on in the show. I do want to mention in this game that, again, Philly's deep. They were always still going to be tough. Tobias Harris played well. Montrez Harrell had a big game. Tyrese Maxey, always a handful. He had 31 points. You know, clearly he's sliding into that role as a player that can pick up the slack for this Philly team. One of the things I think that helped the Knicks in this game was the fact that they kind of needed other people besides Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson to step up. And other guys did. You know, another good game from R.J. Barrett, of course, as well. Brunson and Barrett led the way, but Randle was a little inefficient. He had a double-double, 17-10. and But again, you look at the bench. 17 points from Toppin, 11 from Cam Reddish, Hartenstein. Eight points, ten rebounds. And and listen, Mitchell Robinson, you know, came back, only played 12 minutes. So you needed Hartenstein to really pick up the slack. And he had 21 really effective minutes off the bench. And the Knicks, after falling behind in the third quarter, this kind of felt like a game where, you know, you might turn it off going into the fourth, you know. Uh, Philly... um, Struggled in the first half shooting the ball a bit, and the Knicks took advantage. You know, I think the Knicks had a four-point lead at the break, five-point lead at the break, and then Philly turned it on in the third quarter, and Tyrese Maxey was a big reason why, but the Knicks showed a little bit of gusto on the road and pulled it back in the fourth quarter, 106-104. They made the late 
plays they needed to make. Jalen Brunson again, proving how important he can be in crunch time. Uh, really, really good win. And I think it was also Tyrese Maxey's birthday, so rough one there for him. But at the end of the day, I think if you're the Knicks, you'll take it. You will take it. So very important win at the time ends a losing streak. And, you know, I thought, I thought Philly were there for the taking and the Knicks, again, it was close. Philly are deep. Philly are deep. Maxie and Harris made it very difficult on the Knicks, but it's the NBA and you got to get that win when it's presented to you, especially if you're in a play-in, you know, battle. I think the Knicks uh, can, can walk away from this game in particular being relatively happy. And frankly, I thought, I thought it carried over in some ways into the Boston game. I really, I really thought it did. For, for especially a good chunk of the first half, I thought the Knicks were in lockstep at times with the Celtics. Now listen, Boston you know, takes that early 10-point lead, but the Knicks responded. You know, The Knicks responded to that, and I believe it was only a one-point game at the break. All to play for. All to play for. And, and it was even tight going into the fourth, and the Knicks kept within striking distance for a good chunk of the game. But at the end of the day, the difference was on the perimeter, and the Knicks really could not stop the Boston Celtics' three-point shooting. They had no answer for it. And it was very, very, very frustrating, I should say, to watch because it was one of those things where a lot of the Boston Celtics three-pointers, and it was actually a franchise record, 23, uh, 27, I should say, 27 three-point makes. That's a new Celtics franchise record. I, if, From memory serve, you know, if memory serves, I should say, watching the game back, half of them were uncontested, maybe a little bit more than that. A good chunk of the three-pointers that the Celtics hit the Knicks had nobody there to contest. And listen, I think you, got, you have to give the Celtics credit. They had 30 assists on 47 made field goals. But it's the NBA. You've got to adjust. And the Knicks never did on the defensive end of the floor. And Boston pulled away in the fourth quarter because they kept making three-point shots. Tatum and, and, and Brown had, had 12 three-pointers combined made from the field between them and Brown had 30 Tatum had 26 and frankly you know the supporting cast helped but you know you've got Grant Williams and and for for God's sake Sam Hauser hit five threes I mean that's unacceptable as well and Malcolm Brogdon was in double figures so I, I mean that was the difference not only did some of the bench guys hurt you because the rest of the starters for the Celtics really didn't make much of an impact in the game. Marcus Smart, you know, 13-11 assists. He had a huge night assist-wise, but points-wise, you'll take that from him. It, it was the bench that really hurt the Knicks in this game. I mean, Grant Williams, Sam Hauser, and Malcolm Brogdon combined made nine three-pointers. Nine! Just not good enough. The Celtics made 52.9% of their threes as a team. And those three guys off the bench, again, the same three, Williams, Hauser, and Brogdon, 
you know, Hauser in particular just hasn't been making, making an impact for the Celtics off the bench. They combined for 43 points. Celtics had 50 bench points in total. Just not good enough from the Knicks on the defensive end, particularly on the perimeter. Where Boston, again, Boston has to live on the perimeter right now because Robert Williams is hurt and Al Horford's not in the lineup. So this is the way the Celtics are going to beat you. Now listen, did they have a historic night? Yes, but it, it does feel avoidable looking back at how poorly the Knicks you know, were marking three-point shooters. Very, very poor. I will say, as poor as that was, there was a lot of positives from the game. I kind of started with the doom and gloom from the performance. It was really the big difference in the game, but Randall played really well, 29 points. Barrett had 27, was efficient from the field. 22 and 10 assists for Jalen Brunson. You know, on a normal night against a team that's playing slightly worse, Knicks might be in the game down the stretch and have a chance to win it against a a playoff caliber team. But the Boston Celtics played as good as they've played all year through, at the time, nine games. And in the end, they win it. In the end, they win it. 133-118. to And they're really, uh, really rolling, the Celtics. At least, at least in this game, you know, the, the, the Celtics get a big win over the Knicks at MSG. And, I, you know, midway through the fourth, you kind of, you at least I was saying to myself, man, all the Philly momentum now kind of goes up in smoke a little bit because... You know, at the Garden, maybe you make it two in a row and, and both are divisional wins and you go from there. Just didn't happen. You know, just didn't happen. And then I was worried going into Minnesota. I know I know, we knew before the game that Rudy Gobert was going to be out. But the, the Timberwolves, I know they've been up and down a little bit this year, but they're a very good team. Very good team. Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns. And the rest of the lineup, I think, was Kyle Anderson and, and Jaden McDaniels, not as potent of, of threats, and they proved to, to not be that in the game. But the Timberwolves, to be fair, they're kind of still figuring out their bench rotation, and that kind of ended up being the difference in this game. The Knicks had a huge lead at the break. They really played well, in particular in the first half of this game. Julius Randle had 31, was off the charts good at times in the game. I know he had five turnovers, but Julius Randle was off the charts good at times on the offensive end, and he made eight of 13 three-pointers. Not going to happen every night, but boy, will the Knicks take it. A really important performance from him. Pardon me. Brunson and Barrett, tremendous as, as well again. And I have to say, one of the preseason things I talked about with the Knicks was Obi Toppin and how he has to make a step forward in the right direction. He was in double figures again off the bench, and he had seven rebounds, three assists, and four steals in a 120-107. Huge Knicks win. And I was just looking at his numbers earlier today. How can you not be impressed? Now, again, I want his numbers to be a little bit higher scoring-wise, 
but he's off to a good start. 10 points per game, four rebounds per game. I'd like that to be closer to 12 to 13 points per game, like really consistently in double figures every night. But this is the kind of stretch where you go, that's the next step for Obi. That's where that's how he stays as a very important part of this Knicks team moving forward. So that was exciting to watch. I'm really happy with the way he's been playing of late. And then the Knicks go to Brooklyn and it all goes up in smoke again. Really frustrating. Uh, There's not much else that can be said about it. And I I have to say, looking back, I was watching the highlights uh, before I hopped on here to do this podcast today and not many positives. Not many at all. I, I really, I really am struggling to find any from this game. Um, the Knicks were jumped on in the first quarter, outscored thirty-eight to twenty-two. Horrid at times defensively. Absolutely horrid at times defensively. And it got, you know, just it was just as bad in the second quarter. I thought Knicks uh, didn't improve on the defensive end throughout the night. And they, I think they won, They might have won the third quarter to kind of save a little bit of face, but the damage was done, and the Nets, I mean, pounded the Knicks. Absolutely pounded them 112 to 85. 85 against a really struggling Brooklyn Nets team. And, and that was that was embarrassing. That was an embarrassing defeat. You know, no Kyrie, we'll get to him later on in the show, but a 29-point triple-double for Kevin Durant, who's a Nick killer. He's an everybody killer at times, but he particularly loves playing against the Knicks. But but I have to say, you know, with all due respect to some of these guys, I mean, Nick Claxton is in double figures. Edmund Sumner had 18 points. I mean, listen, Seth Curry had 23. He can go off, right? But some of the other players that played, you're not expecting them to, to be that good, you know? And again, Ben Simmons only had six points. So there's other guys that have to step up and, and and it was rough to watch. It was very, very tough to watch. I think at one point the Nets had a 30 point lead. I mean, it was really, really bad. And it actually might've been worse than that. I can't remember exactly what the worst lead was, but you know, Randall had his normal performance. He had 24 and 11. Barrett and Brunson, 16 and 14. Nobody else for the Knicks played well. Nobody else. You know, I, I was, you know, whew, thoroughly disappointed because, again, much like the, the, the Celtics game, although, again, there were a lot of positives despite struggling from uh, a three-point defensive standpoint, this game was just an absolute dumpster fire from start to finish. And it's a game I, I couldn't watch live, but watching the highlights back, I, I'm glad I didn't watch. It was it, it was a put-your-hands-over-your-eyes kind of performance uh, from the Knicks that find, who now find themselves at 5-6 and six in the East. And uh, again, the Nets were behind them in the standings going into the game as well. It's just... I get KD can can go off, but there are other guys on there that should not be putting up those kind of numbers. However, right, with that being said, 
This is a Brooklyn team that has been terrible defensively at times so far this season. Terrible. And the Knicks only put up 85 points. And listen, you know, Julius Randle had four turnovers, but he, he gave you what you needed from it. Made four of eight threes, had 24 points, made six of his nine free throws. And Bar- Barrett and Brunson, not, not typical nights from them, but you know, both got close to 20 points. Like, they're, they're giving you something. Nobody else in double figures. You know, th- this was... This is one of those games where you, you wish Obi Toppin had saved one of his, you know, 15, 16 point games. You know, he had five in this game. Evan Fournier had six points, barely heard from him in the game. And and again, 20 minutes from Emmanuel quickly, he made one shot. O of six from three, two points, and he and he had the second worst plus minus of any player on the bench. And Obi Toppin had the worst. So at the end of the day, not good enough. Not good enough. I, the only positive you can take, there's always a silver lining, right, is that uh, Quentin Grimes played. He played five minutes, made a three. So maybe we'll, we'll get to see a little bit more from him as the weeks go on. But, man, talk about a momentum killer. But this has been the Knicks the last you know year plus. They're inconsistent. In moments like this, they get a big road win. They lose to the Celtics because they can't guard the three. They get another big road win at Minnesota. You're thinking, well, they were struggling. Maybe this, maybe the Knicks can beat the Nets. They're struggling as well. And they, the, the, the Knicks put up arguably, you could argue, their worst performance of the season from start to finish. Absolutely horrid on both ends of the floor. And it, it never got better. Again, the third quarter was a brief glimmer of hope, but the Knicks never got back in the game. So that that was that. And uh, Brooklyn had a huge halftime lead. They extended the lead in the fourth, and, and that was it. And, and the Knicks dropped a really rough game against uh, their division and city rivals. And they're 5-6 and six through 11 games. You know, it's... it's uh, it's not where you want to be. Knicks want to be above 500, and uh, they've got a lot of work to do to fix the, first of all, fix some things up defensively, but now the offense all of a sudden throws up an absolute, the definition of a brick performance from the offense. Again, I'm, going to, I'm kind of going to put Randall, Brunson, and Barrett a little bit to the side here. I know Brunson was, you know, was poor with his efficiency and, and stuff like that. Other guys have got to step up, you know. There's got to be somebody else that can fill that role. I mean, listen, you know, I, I kind of took a little bit of a, a little bit of pot shots at Top and Fournier, and quickly, Cam Reddish played 18 minutes as a starter, went 0 of seven, didn't make a shot in this game. I get you, you have an off night in the NBA, but 85 points. And, and again, the Knicks are capable of it. They've shown that they are at times in the regular season. But these are games where you try to build momentum. And the Knicks did quite the opposite. Quite the opposite of that. Because again, I'm coming out of the Timberwolves game thinking, man, if they beat Brooklyn, now all of a sudden it looks a little bit different. Looks a little bit different again. For the Knicks, and now they're five and six, and they're right back where they started after the three-game losing streak. 
That's rough. That's a rough way to end a uh, a four-game stretch there after a three-game losing streak. And again, 11 games in. To be fair, the Knicks are, are seventh, top of the uh, play-in spots in the East, but it's a four-way tie. The Wizards, the Sixers, and the Pacers are all five and six right now as I look at the standings. So that's it right now. That's where the Knicks need to improve. That's where the Knicks uh, just, man, need to be better. Especially, again, they're now one and two in three divisional games this year. That's got to be better. Got to be better if you're going to make the postseason. So we'll see. And what I think is even more worrying is that that might be Brooklyn's you know, jump start. They're they're still they're actually still behind the Knicks. They're five and seven, but Knicks could have had a two and a half game lead on the Nets. Now it's a half game lead. Early in the season, I know, but these are the things you think about later in the season when the Knicks are you know going through a really rough patch. Where you go, man, if they could have won a couple of those games, played better in some of these games, especially coming off that three game losing streak where they threw two of them away. These are games where you really want to see the Knicks build some momentum, you know, and, and get back to where you where you hope they can be, which is, again, the, the postseason. So, anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, the, we'll see what happens next, but the upcoming schedule, again, there's winnable games here. When the podcast goes out, the Knicks play Detroit on Friday night. They play OKC on Sunday. They go to Utah, which is much tougher than anyone anticipated. The Jazz have been red hot to start the season in the year where everyone thought they were going to be tanking. But then they got to you know play four more after that on the road. Denver, Golden State, Phoenix, OKC. These next three are important for the Knicks. They're really important. Because that, that five-game road trip is going to be brutal. And, and this is what I was saying, like, the Knicks have got to be above 500 before that five-game road trip, and now they need to win the next two games to do that. Or they, they could be in really big trouble by the time we get around to Thanksgiving, and that could be a really bad sign for the season as far as making the postseason. So Detroit's big. OKC is is big as well. Both at the Garden, Knicks need to win, I think, both of the games. We'll take a break. On the other side of the break and the second half of the podcast, we'll touch on Kyrie Irving and the latest, what does LeBron James think about it? Of course, they're former teammates, they're friends apparently as well, even off the court. Uh, although there's, I think there's some uh, rumors that dispute that, but regardless, he weighs in as well. And if we have time, we'll talk big picture NBA after that as well. And actually, you should say this as well. A little bit of Knicks news as far as the future of the team as well. All that and more is coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Second half of the show, I just want to make uh, one more house cleaning note uh, before I continue. I probably should have said this earlier. Uh, but again, you know, like, like I explained at the top of the show, it's been a rough 48 hours, you know, car breaks down, driving back home to the Northeast from Florida and, uh, have to do the podcast in a hotel room in, uh, you know, in a random state. But, uh, I do want to mention, you know, because of this, I don't have my usual podcast equipment. I'm actually recording this off my phone, uh, at the moment with a, you know, set of AirPods in. So I apologize, um, again for, having to do this sort of impromptu uh, podcast, but it was better than the alternative because, again, I don't have my mic with me that I normally use to record. Uh, it's it's with my car, which I can't have access to at the moment. So I have, uh, you know, I would have had to record it just off the speaker on my computer and, or off my, off my laptop, and I tried it. It sounded terrible. So this is kind of the only way, <laughs> the only way we could do it where it somewhat sounded okay. So again, I apologize uh, for it. Not much I can do about it, unfortunately. And again, I appreciate all of you listening regardless. It always means a lot. And uh, yeah, uh, as always, like I I don't mind sharing some of this stuff with you. I kind of have to explain some of it because, you know, it does does impact the show uh, to a certain extent. So I do appreciate you bearing with me on all that. And uh, let's dive in. Second half of the show. Um, we'll start with the Knicks news first, which is very, uh, it's always interesting. Again, especially when it's Woj or Shams uh, tweeting things that could potentially mean something uh, for your team in particular. And before the Knicks got blown out by the Nets, uh, Shams, I believe this was on FanDuel.tv or FanDuel.com slash TV or something like that. Uh, Michelle Beadle and I guess Chandler Parsons, former NBA player, I guess they host a show on this site. I, I don't, I didn't fully understand, uh, the context of it, but regardless, the information from Shams was interesting on FanDuel TV, basically saying the Knicks uh, were on the Donovan Mitchell trade, said the, the Knicks were literally one first round pick away or a Quentin Grimes away from getting the deal done uh, for Donovan Mitchell. He said it doesn't happen. Uh, basically goes on to say that, quote, the Knicks have eight first round picks in their coffers. And when I speak to league executive, speak to executives around the league, they're believing that the Knicks are kind of hoarding those first round picks and quote. And he went on to further say that the Knicks are quote, just waiting for the next megastar to become available. Uh, it makes sense, right? I mean, this is something we talked about before. It's not really uh, earth shattering news that because the Knicks missed out on Donovan Mitchell, that they're now waiting for the next big fish in the NBA pond, or if you will, to show themselves, and then the Knicks can throw the picks at that player to potentially get a trade with a team to upgrade the roster. That's where the Knicks are at. That's a big reason or big way they're going to hope to uh, improve the team moving forward. I'm hopeful that that will occur at some point. 
But for the time being, uh, we have to wait on that, right? I mean, the trade deadline this season is going to be interesting. What the Knicks decide to do at it, if anything, it could be, again, it could be a situation where the Knicks are, again, just wait for the right player or the right, uh, what's the right word, I guess, I don't want to say the right type of player, but but a star, a megastar, right? That's the word that Shams used, and they they want a big franchise-changing star to become available for the Knicks to then use all of those picks to get them and improve the team and be that fourth leading piece along with Brunson, Barrett, and potentially Julius Randle as well. So that's what the Knicks have to look forward to if they can get it done. But for right now, it, it's, it's, it sounds like it's purely just speculation. And uh, we have to kind of wait and see what happens moving forward with it. Let's get to the Kyrie Irving stuff to finish off the podcast. And I, I thought that this was a really um, rough story since the beginning. You know, Kyrie Irving is somebody who has been engulfed in this kind of controversy now for, you know, close to three years, right? I mean, it goes back to the flat earth stuff. On top of that, the way he handled not getting vaccinated, you know, during the heart of the pandemic and then in the NBA's return after the bubble season as well. And now this with the, for those that don't know, I'm sure if, you know, if you're an NBA fan, you've heard what's been going on, but basically Kyrie Irving, uh, and we talked about it on the show last week, so you can go back to the last episode if you want to hear my initial thoughts on it, but Kyrie Irving promoted a an anti-Semitic documentary that had, uh, you know, Holocaust-denying comments and very rough uh, language uh, towards Jewish people and other pe- people of other uh, walks of life as well. It was very, very tough. Um, See, I, I didn't, didn't want to watch it because for me it's a situation where I really don't want to, I don't want to watch stuff like that. I read about it, read a lot of uh, comments, quotes from the documentary itself, and I think that for me at least was enough to kind of get the gist of the documentary without putting myself through uh, you know, a, a BS fest for however long it is, an hour and a half, two hours, or whatever it is. So that was frustrating. Uh, Kyrie Irving has since, you know, you know, had, had a deal pulled for his upcoming shoe with Nike. He has been suspended by the Nets, which we didn't get the chance to talk about on the show last week. I think I tweeted this out when it happened because we recorded right before, literally as soon as I posted the episode on the website, literally an hour later, Kyrie got suspended and there's really not much I can do after that. Except for do what? Except for quote tweet and be like, hey, like this happened before or after we recorded, and now this is the time where we can touch on it on the next show. So that's the deal. Um, a few days ago, I uh, back to another Shams tweet. Sources: Nets have delivered Kyrie Irving six items he must complete to return to the team, and before I list them. I want to get to what LeBron James said about it. And to me, um, this was both interesting and also slightly concerning, uh, what LeBron tweeted 
about the Kyrie Irving situation. Um, Initially, when LeBron was asked about it after a Laker loss, I thought he said all the right things. He talked about how there's no room for hate, no matter where you come from, who you are, and especially with what so many black players are fighting for. This is also, you know, anti-Semitism cannot be allowed in the NBA either. None of it can be allowed. And that's the point that LeBron made. I thought it was a great way of putting it. It was very, very good, I thought, to, um, to, while kind of saying like, you know, Kyrie made a mistake, but he's a good kid kind of a thing, repeatedly say, but he, but this is a bad mistake. You can't, you know, uh, get away with this and just not apologize and things like that. So LeBron, I thought for the most part, balanced it well. And then he, he made it, he, or actually, uh, he tweeted this earlier today uh, on the day of the recording on Thursday. And his tweet was, was odd. I, I don't, especially after hearing his press conference thoughts where he kind of balanced it well, he then tweets this. Um, It's a two-part tweet. And the first part, and and this this was earlier the afternoon on November 10th, again, on, uh, on Thursday. Starts it off and he says, I told you guys that I don't believe in sharing hurtful information. And I'll continue to be that way, but Kyrie apologized and he should be able to play. That's what I think. It's that simple. Help him learn, but he should be playing. What he's asked to do to get back on the court, I think, is excessive in my opinion. He's not the person that's being portrayed of him. Anyways, back to my rehab session. So, I didn't like this tweet from LeBron and again he starts it off by trying to kind of balance the line but then he calls the the six items that the Nets are having Kyrie do excessive and I want to read the items to you because I think LeBron couldn't be overblowing it more calling it excessive the Nets are not asking for a lot here out of Kyrie the six items and Shams tweeted this out earlier in the week. Quote, uh, the first one, this is from Shams, apologize and condemn the movie. And let me just be very clear. These are the six things that Kyrie Irving has to do to return to the team, to get back in the lineup. These are the six things he has to do. Apologize and condemn the movie, which I, I, I think he's done maybe half of that. I don't know if he's actually condemned the movie yet. I really don't know if he's actually done that. Donate $500,000 to anti-hate causes. I believe he's done that, or at least he's promised to do that. Sensitivity training, anti-Semitic training, meet with the ADL and Jewish leaders, meet with Joe Sy to demonstrate understanding. None of that to me is excessive. Not a one. Not a one. And part of the reason why LeBron's tweet actually made me do a double take was, I'm sorry, apologizing should have been the bare minimum thing that Kyrie was expected to do here. 
he played a very dangerous game on social media. And arguably worse than that, he promoted anti-Semitism. That's what he did. That's what he did. Now, he didn't, I will say this, I mentioned Kanye West last week. He didn't, he hasn't done what Kanye's done and go on to Fox News and do all this stuff and really, and tweet and all this, like, very clearly promoting anti-Semitism. But Kyrie Irving did basically the same thing in fewer words without actually saying it. Whether he likes it or not, he made a huge mistake. And again, I should mention this as well. This is the third time Kyrie has done this. This is the third time Kyrie Irving has been extremely poor when it comes to communication over a controversial issue where he doesn't have all the facts before he says and does things. The flat earth situation, which he chalked up to being a joke afterwards, it's patently false. Seriously, there's no debating this, you know. His thoughts on the vaccinations and the fact that he was anti-vax, not great. He, he was pulling uh, pulling studies and, and quote-unquote facts, in, in his words, and information that wasn't true. That wasn't true and had certain lawmakers, and I'm not, not trying to get too political here, but had certain lawmakers around the country promoting Kyrie Irving's thoughts on the situation who were anti-vax. That's not great, Kyrie. That's strike two. And now this is, and this has been the worst of the bunch with the anti-Semitic promotion of this documentary. And frankly, I think they're going easy on Kyrie a little bit here. This is the bare minimum of what he should have to do to be a net again. There have been, you know, there's been fodder around the league from executives, at least one, that wouldn't be surprised if Kyrie never played in the NBA again after doing this. So for LeBron to come out and say that Kyrie is, 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 is or I should say the, um, the list of things he has to do is excessive is ridiculous to me. When you put it in the full context of the situation, and I think LeBron, who again, I think his heart's in the right place here, but has missed the mark on the actual impact I think that Kyrie made here in a very negative way on many people and many NBA fans in particular, including fans of his own team. So it's one of those things where Kyrie Irving, I think, needs to be held accountable here. Like no NBA star, no star, no, you know, star of any kind. And frankly, nobody in particular should be allowed to get away with this without being punished in some way. And trying to, you know, in a way for Kyrie, really they're just asking him, just smooth this over. Like meet with the right people, donate the money, like say what you did was wrong. They're basically just telling him, go to timeout and think about what you did. 
Like, that's basically what the Nets are doing here. That's it. Go to timeout, Kyrie. Have a think about it. We'll bring the people by that you need to talk to to smooth this over. And then you'll go back on the court. It's fine. Then you'll, we'll get you out of the timeout corner, Kyrie. Like, in the grand scheme, the Nets are not asking for a lot here. They're really not. So, Kyrie, in some ways, is still getting a little bit of star treatment here. Because, again, Myers Leonard, when he said an anti-Semitic comment a few years ago, he hasn't played in the league since that happened. So, again, like, again and this is why I go back to the, to the, to the LeBron tweet, in the, in the grand scheme, in the context of it, when you put some context on it, LeBron's tweet is a little tone deaf here. I don't love it at all. I think he's missed the mark on it. His heart, again, his heart's in the right place. LeBron's heart on the grand scheme of this is in the right place. But the other part of the tweet that, that made me roll my eyes was, you know, Kyrie's not the person he's being betrayed as. Well, he's not doing a good job of helping himself out there, is he? Not doing a great job. Not helping himself out with these press conferences. Not helping himself out with the way he's acted reportedly behind the scenes about a lot of this stuff. And not helping himself out with, with some of the things he's posted on social media before this happened and since this has happened. Not great, Kyrie. Not great at all. And again, there's fodder amongst NBA executives that, again, the worst case scenario is Kyrie's never going to play again in the NBA. So again, let's be clear about what's excessive here, especially considering Kyrie's history on controversial topics and the way he's handled it on social media, especially this time, in press conferences and in public. You can't keep doing it and expect not to get punished in some way. And again, this doesn't even feel like it's that big, that big of a punishment. Just do what you need to do and you'll get back on the court. Now, the last thing I'll say about this is there's been multiple people who have kind of been interact who have interacted with Kyrie's circle in the past and things like that. They're not convinced Kyrie's going to do these things. So th- there's actually been talk now is Kyrie even going to do the bare minimum to write things with the Nets, write things with the Jewish community and get back on the court. There's some people that are, that are still saying he might just say screw this and he's done with the Nets and maybe not play never play again in the NBA because he's that adamant and stubborn about his about some of his thoughts, right? Because one of the things that Kyrie said, I think, in one of his Instagram posts, in his I guess it's, it's technically it's his apology Instagram post where he did say he was sorry at least on Instagram, he said that it was an educational experience. Right, it was supposed to be an ex- for him. His thought process was there were some things in the documentary I agreed with, some I didn't agree with. Within the first twenty minutes of the documentary, there are comments about that the Holocaust didn't happen, Holocaust denials happening. 
not good enough. In the at the and at the end of the day, how how do you how can you continue watching a documentary right where that is the rhetoric and expect it to be an educational experience where what you're consuming is patently false, couldn't be further from the truth. And at the end of the day, that's the reason for the repercussions. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much as always for listening. Thanks for bearing with me, frankly, through, through what's been a rough, rough 48 hours. And I'll see you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all real soon.